For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. You keep showing up because you know that this is the best place to go for all of the best science and information out there about medical cannabis week after week. There are different experts in the field, ranging from doctors to growers to researchers. If you are doing amazing things and are finding ways to keep pushing the envelope within the cannabis industry, I'm talking to you and I'm bringing you to the people. That's you, my amazing listeners, and I want to hear from you. Go over wherever you're listening to this and leave me a review, please. It really helps to get more ears on the show. The more reviews that I get, the more stars that I get, the more people get to be part of this club that we are creating together where we are the ones who have the knowledge and the power to be able to bring medical cannabis to the people of this world. I need your help. Please go over and give me a rating. Let's do this together so we can keep spreading this information wider and wider and wider. And also just reach out to me. Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com is my email address, and I would love to hear from you. Hear what you think about the show, what kind of guests that you've really enjoyed from the past, or who you might want to see in the future. All these things will really help out, and so I can keep bringing you the very best that I possibly can. And this week, I'm bringing you Mr. Thomas Skrinskis, and he has some very cool technology that he's working with up in British Columbia, some nanotech. We get into all the little tiny details of nanotechnology, and I know you're going to learn a lot from this episode because I sure did. Didn't know that much about nanotech before. Before, but I feel like I got a pretty good knowledge of it now. And after about an hour, so will all of you. So without any further ado, please welcome Thomas to the show. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today's guest is Mr. Thomas Skrinskis. I got that right. Yes. Yeah. Nice first try. Or... All right. Cool. No, I had some help from Melody earlier. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So for over 15 years, Thomas has been at the leading edge of transformative healthcare technologies, including computer-assisted surgery, surgical robotics, and genetic nanomedicines. His career began with research and engineering, which provided a strong foundation for the business development and operations roles that followed. Thomas founded Ascension Sciences, an R&D laboratory focused on nanoparticle development for cannabinoid products and therapeutics in January of 2019. Thomas, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm excited to 
have a chat. Um, like I mentioned to you, it's my first interview. So uh, yeah, take it easy on me. But uh, no, I'm glad to add anything I can to the, the knowledge base. This is great. Well, I'm honored to be your first interview host, and uh, I will take it easy out of you, but I'm super curious because you have a lot of really interesting stuff going on. So let's dive in. So how do you go from making robots that do surgery to cannabinoid medicines? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I can start at the beginning or earlier in my days. Um, you know, my family is is physicians, um, like doctors, gastroenterologists, and anesthetist. So the healthcare side of things was always at uh, the dinner table conversation. Um, but I, I didn't, I just saw all my, my friends uh, interested in medicine, just complaining all the time. So I didn't want to be a doctor, but I had that field in the back of my mind. And that just put me to sciences and engineering and biomedical engineering in particular. And from there, uh, the robotic side was me standing in operating rooms, working with surgical equipment and helping surgeons use the surgical robotic system and fixing it. So, you know, being handy and things of that nature. And all the story kind of from there was, you know, I didn't want to be in the field as much. I wanted to understand how the businesses worked. So I went to business school and then an opportunity just presented itself. It just seems oftentimes, you know, serendipitously or, or you just right place, right time. Um, you know, if you have the right attitude, I think opportunities present themselves. And that's what happened with nanoparticles because finished business school, there was an intern leaving a company. So I filled his role. He basically got me the job. And this was at a company called Precision Nanosystems. And they're doing amazing things, mind you, for COVID right now. But then that transformed into Ascension Sciences for myself. I just saw the opportunity of kind of two emerging technologies, cannabinoid medicines and nanoparticles, and just mash them together. And that was almost two years ago now. Cool. So the, the cannabinoid medicine kind of caught your attention. What was it yeah. that caught your attention about it? Yeah, the... I mean, the deregulation in Canada had a lot to do with it. That was kind of the the industry and market opportunity, you could say, that I that I noticed. Cannabis as a, as a medicine, I think, and then a lot of your earlier podcasts has been described. And, and I think there's just a, such an open space for these compounds. Um, and again, with the deregulation, it, it makes it a little easier for companies like ours to, to start up. Like we are in startup mode and normally where it'd have to have, we still have R and D license and everything's above board, but it, it's not, um, you know, something we, we need millions of dollars to, to you know, get into government offices and, and, you know, start worrying about what, what we can and can't do. So it was a little opportunistic and again, back to the cannabis as a medicine, um, you know, I'll just reference every other podcast you've put out right to date. Cool. That works. That works. So let's dive into what you're specializing in then. And maybe you can start at the beginning. What are nanoparticles and how are they being used to in the cannabis medicine space? Good 
question and I and I had to write down like what is nanotechnology. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it whole loud here. So nanotechnology is the creation of useful functional materials, devices, systems through control of matter on the nanometer length scale and exploitation of novel phenomena and properties, physical, chemical, biological, at that length scale. So that definition is is quite broad. I mean, it applies to computers, it applies, you know, to medical imaging and, and anything that's novel at the nano scale. For cannabinoids and nanoparticles, the best analogy is that the nanoparticle is a delivery vehicle. It's a truck that drives around and inside the truck is your cannabinoid or your cannabis-based mix or compound of, of terpenes and, and active ingredients. And this truck, if you will, delivers the cannabinoids in the right way at the right time, at the right concentration, um, over a particular length of time, because you've designed the nanoparticle to do that. You design your truck appropriately. And the reason that's important for cannabinoids is because for large part, the, big, the biggest reason being that they're insoluble in water. Um, and, you know, the first pe thing people think of is, you know, CBD water and, and emulsifying, um, to use that buzzword, emulsifying these compounds into water. And, and that helps you absorb them better. They become more bioavailable. Again, another multiple syllable word for you. <laughs> but uh, the... At the end of the day, these nanoparticles are necessary to improve the efficacy of these of these drugs, and that's what nanoparticles do for for any insoluble drug. A lot of cancer drugs are insoluble, yeah, and and changing administration routes. So kind of taking a bit of a left turn, where you'd normally inhale or um, use oil tinctures, you can change the administration route with the help of nanoparticles. So. If you want to put it on your skin, if you want to uh, use a mist or a nebulizer or put it under your tongue for absorption, you can use nanoparticles to adjust and, and tune the way the compounds, the way the cannabinoids and extracts enter your bloodstream and, and have their therapeutic effect. Yeah, that's great. So this is just for my own personal edification. So on a molecular level, you have a number of different atoms that come together to create the specific molecule that is that cannabinoid. Now, um, how much bigger is a nanoparticle than that specific molecule? That's a very, very, very good question. Um, I anticipated that. So a nanoparticle, you know, in, in our lab or, you know, in general parlance, if you will, is somewhere between five to a hundred nanometers in diameter by contrast like your hair the width of your hair is eighty thousand nanometers so a hundred times thicker than the nanoparticles that we talk about the molecules themselves so like one cbd molecule for argument's sake you could say is around one nanometer um and again so we're dealing dealing with a volume that's 100 to 50, 
50 to 20 nanometers in diameter. So yeah, you're packing one nanometer sized molecules into that matzo ball, if you will. <laughs> Great. And so, and that allows for other molecules to come into play, not just the cannabinoids. Are you including terpenes and flavonoids in with the delivery? Excellent question. Um, that, that comes down to what drug you're trying to develop or what combination of compounds you're trying to put together for your desired effect. You know, this is where we start to get into the differences between, you know, segments or, or uses like recreational food, health, and then uh, drug product. Yeah, let's but go into like, that if you don't like, mind. Yeah, like botanical drugs um, versus therapeutics and then where cannabis falls and all of that and synthesized versus unsynthesized. So what I mean to say is, you can use all the whole spectrum or you can use one single molecule, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, um, the FDA health Canada, where it was, where from, you know, they prefer studying one molecule for one effect and knowing all the side effects, you know, and, and then adding layers or com complexities to it. That what we know though, the entourage effect and how the whole entire interplay of all the, the components of the plan, you know, that's what makes it interesting and fun. And that's where there's kind of that sliding scale of going towards a health product or for a particular claim, but not at the end of the day, knowing exactly how it functions. You know, that's a lot of the basic science people are very interested in right now, but that doesn't mean we, you can't still use it for sleep or anxiety without really knowing down deep how well it's working or why it's working. And again, that's where nanoparticles can, can have a benefit. They can isolate the effect. They can, you know, reduce toxicity. Although cannabis isn't particularly toxic, you can, yeah, just tune the way the particle behaves to enable the, the compounds to have a specific effect. Yeah. I think I wrapped a little bit, maybe off, the side of the wagon there, but no, that's all, I hope I that's all right. Some of it, yeah, you did. And so, currently, with the the nanotechnology that you're using, are you finding yourselves playing in um, multiple levels? Are you trying to move into a more pharmaceutical model? Are you existing in a nutraceutical model right now? Like, where where do you see yourself playing, and and what are your goals around that? Yeah, your questions are really good. They just allow me to talk for a long time. I like it. Um, so our, our business, we're in startup mode, you know, so on some level, we'll take any work we can in any segment, whether it's food or beverage or, or health and, and therapeutics. You know, that being said, all our backgrounds in the lab are in the health space. And yes, we want to be helping people, not, you know, necessarily, you know, making cookies and, and, and gummies. That's, there's lots of applications in that, but again, the, the particles get more interesting, more complex, more um, effective, you know, the more again, complex the, the problem is that they solve. Um, so yeah, we wanna be in, in health, healthcare, natural health products and, and therapeutics where we do contract research. I guess this is my little plug, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll solve whatever delivery problem you want. 
or your compound. But we, yeah, we certainly want to attract people uh, that, that have a therapeutic endpoint or want to study something that uh, yeah, beneficial to, to somebody who needs it. Yeah, great. And so that goes into something else that you mentioned you wanted to talk about is the, the lack of basic science currently around cannabinoid medicine and, and the drug development process and the complications therein. And so you're, I assume you're trying to solve that issue? Yeah, it's, it's solved with, with the collaborators or co-developers um, that we want to work with. So getting into like not knowing how exactly the whole plant is, is helping pain or anxiety or spasticity, you can use, again, nanoparticles either to isolate um, some of those effects and, and narrow your focus. And, and that, that's what the regulators like, especially when it comes to side effects. But yeah, we, the basic science is, is kind of that snake oil versus drug conundrum. Like if it works, then I don't really care why it works, but it also won't reach as many people if you can't study and explain why it works. And this is where you have to be careful about the products that, that are out there. I think you had a, a lab or, you know, the analytical testing side of things, you know, really notices that the amount of CBD is not what it said is it is on the bottle for a number of reasons. It's it's partly that and part marketing. But when you for nanoparticles and say shelf life for the beverages, everybody says better bioavailability, but you'd be hard pressed to find that information on somebody's website or you know our our stances, you know, will help you create that little data set and all of a sudden you will have it and nobody else will. <laughs> and, and in some respects, people just, the bioavailability is, is well-documented for other compounds, but not, not really for, for cannabinoids and all the different varieties of products that, that are out there at this point. So yeah, like the basic science part of it is, is the kind of the open forum and it's, it's nice that you can put out a product without fully validating it. Again, it, it accelerates your time to market, but you know, the scientists like people like myself, you know, we're not going to support a product or, or in our view, in the real long run, in the long term, the ones that are going to stick around are the ones that they can back up their claims and, and really explain why they work. And again, that's, those are the types of groups we like to engage yeah. And so being in Canada, you have a bit of an advantage to us here in the States in terms of research and being able to get to the bottom of some of these problems. And have you, what kind of work are you doing in terms of, so let me rewind a little bit. Um, the bioavailability buzzword is, is big. And so are you able to actually do the studies necessary to find out that your methods truly are more bioavailable than, than others, or just being able to present real data on the levels of bioavailability and such. Yeah, that's, that's everything um, we help people accomplish. And so, you know, getting into like what exactly we can provide as a service. So at this stage where we have bench scale models, um, so we'll put nanoparticles into simulated gastric fluid and tell you, how fast they release 
you know, do you want to feel good now or do you want to feel good later? Or for pain, do you want to feel good for a while um, or for sleep? You know, it has to be eight hours. And again, that's a particle can do that. And that's what we can study on the bench. And then we work with other partners, you know, through universities and colleges in, in our neighborhood that have the capabilities for cell models. So you put the nanoparticles on some cells that are from your gut, this CACO2 cell model or buccal cells, cells that are in your mouth. And you can study how the nanoparticles go through the membranes and, and across the membranes. And that helps you determine kind of bioavailability equivalence. So you're just kind of increasing your complexity as you go along. The next stage is putting into small animals, rats and mice, and you'd you know, literally feed them a pill or, um, you know, there are intravenous formulations, you do inject them, and then you take some blood samples. And that's the pharmacokinetics, that's your best indicator for bioavailability. You're basically testing the levels of the metabolites and of how much cannabinoid is circulating in the blood for how long. And then you can go after that into human, human trials. And that's, um, Again, there's sensory sensory studies, which isn't equivalent necessarily to the bioavailability, uh, but Health Canada has a pathway where you can yeah, just do a simple sensory study without having to take blood. But then they also, you can also apply for a protocol to take somebody's blood, you know, all through very sanitary and, and official means, obviously. And, and that's your, your full-on super-duper pharmacokinetic bioavailability study. So yeah, you know, you kind of walk through from the bench and the bottle all the way to to your friend and coworkers, you know, taking nanoparticles to to take blood samples. Cool. So if you could just give me a brief and maybe example of the difference in bioavailability between say a full spectrum CBD oil tincture that I might be able to get off the internet and a nanoparticle-based CBD product that is um, water-soluble. Yeah, so we can even start with inhalation. So smoking is, is the fastest onset. Um, yeah, and, and you absorb most of, or most is a bad word here. It's up, you can get up to like 50, 60% uh, absorption of, of the cannabinoids um, that you're inhaling for oral bioavailability. Um, a lot of the, the gel caps and things you see are in sesame oil or MCT oil. So something like that is, you know, below 10%. So from 50 to 60, you know, if that's the gold standard, you know, just ingesting a gel cap is below 10%. And that's not to say you don't still have a benefit or an effect like, yeah, you, you have a five, 10 milligram gel caps. Yeah. You're going to feel something for sure. Well, even one gel cap. Um, and then for nanoparticles, yeah, you're trying to approach that 50, 60 benchmark. Yeah. It, it's not there yet. It's, it's in the, on the order of 40%, something like that, 30, 40% absorption. You can also, when you talk about liver metabolism, like if, you're just dealing with an oil, you lose maybe 80% to the liver. Whereas with a nanoparticle, we're actually bypassing the liver. 
So you're solubilizing the cannabinoids and they're getting into the bloodstream either through the walls in your intestine or through buccal delivery. So in your mouth, absorption in, in your mouth. So they're getting, getting into your bloodstream around the liver, like they're taking a left turn. Um, so again, that helps you improve that bioavailability. And there's an argument to be made, especially in the rec market, that like why why do I care that it's more bioavailable if if I can just take two gummies? Like why would I take one bioavailable gummy or three non-bioavailable gummies? Like there's a cost. Um, maybe you talk to the processors, producers, and say you can save money in your raw materials because you have a nano product and you can get the same effect for less. I mean, like those are legitimate reasons. And that's, that's where we like to play in pharmaceutical applications more because cost, like you're actually, we're more worried about the effect and, and the, the interesting things that, that are happening than a cost. If it works better, if it has an improved efficacy, then for argument's sake, people will, don't worry as much about the costs, not as price sensitive. So those are, you know, some of the other underlying business reasons you could say we we see health products and pharmaceuticals being a much more relevant application of particles. Yeah. And so and I imagine with the rec market that especially in Canada being wreck across the whole country at this point. Uh, where does this play in? It seems like your technology would be better suited for medicines as opposed to somebody that wants to just get high. Am I mistaken in that? I don't think we know yet. <laughs> like again, back to the, the person who can just take one or two gummies. I think people are just happy they can walk into a store and get a gummy. And when they, they look at their options, um, if one says super duper nano and one doesn't, then they'll look at the price or the T they'll probably look at the THC content second and they'll, they'll say, I'll just take the one with more THC. That's the reality today. Uh, but then when, what excites us is the, the health and therapeutic side. So, you know, sleep pain, um, again, where, where you need a different type of release, um, that's where, yeah, we get excited and where the concentrations or dosages are much more, I guess, quote unquote, therapeutically relevant. So, you know, 10 milligrams um, per dose in the rec market is the limit. But in children for, can't remember the study now, but in, in these, you know, neurospasticity situations, they're, you know, taking 500 milligrams a day and, and it's it's highly beneficial and not toxic and it's amazing but if, what if you had to if you could reduce that or you, you only had to do it once a day and, and not throughout the day um again nanoparticles can have that type of benefit yeah and so that moves us into the the formulations and, and different techniques around that what um yeah so go into that a little <laughs> bit please yeah so there's different ways of making nanoparticles I'm just trying to see where to to start the story. How about this? They, Let's start. Can I, no. let, me, let me give you a little direction if you don't mind. So something like pain versus sleep. And so pain, obviously, you're going to want a much faster onset of relief than sleep, where you're going to want something to last for a while to keep you in that state. So what, what would be the process around building the nanoparticles for those kinds of things? So for, for onset, 
and, and release of, of the drugs, um, there's two things. It's usually the size of the particle. So a smaller particle, this is, I'm generalizing, um, but we have to start somewhere. Generally, a smaller particle will have faster onset than a larger particle. The other thing is the, the type of particle. So there's nano emulsions are one. So I'll kind of scan them. There's nano emulsions, there's lipid nanoparticles, and in lipid nanoparticles, there are kind of subcategories, liposomes and solid lipid particles. And then the third broad category is polymer nanoparticles. So getting in all the different types have different characteristics and different reasons you'd want to use them, whether it's different administration route, um, different worries about concentrations, different applications, different cost uh, implications. But to, to kind of get back to your question, like if I wanted a longer on a longer um, effect, I might tend more towards a liposome. The, the concentrations aren't quite as high, but they're a little more stable um, than say an emulsion. An emulsion is like everybody talks about salad dressing as being the best kind of day-to-day example of an emulsion, but where the oil and in, in the salad dressing, when you shake it up, it, it disperses and it, it looks like it's one phase that you can't distinguish the oil from the vinegar and water and what have you. But over time, they separate in your fridge. But what if when you shook it, it stayed like that? And what you can do to make it stay like that is add surfactants or also called stabilizers. So they take all the, when you shake it, all the oil disperses into smaller droplets. And for our sake, call them nano droplets. They're on the nanometer scale. And once they get to that size, you'll put in these stabilizers so they'll cover, coat the droplets so that the droplets can't come back together. And and that's your, your nano particle, your nano emulsion. So I would use a nano emulsion very much in the food and beverage space. Um, they're not too complicated to, to make. And then there's lots of precedent again from, from the food and, and beverage um, industries prior to cannabinoids, prior to oils. So those, those are kind of the spattering of, of reasons and ways you can toy with the particles for different effects. And, and that, you know, scratches the surface. You can put things on the outside of the particle, different ligands, another buzzword for you, to, to attract the particles to different cells for different reasons, um, to increase circulation time, is the pharmacodynamics, if you will, like where do they go in the body? Again, just designing them, making them, adding different puzzle pieces to um, yeah, make them do what you want at the end of the day. Cool, cool. And so what kind of formulations are you are you working with for this? You mentioned sonification as a, as a technique for formulation? Yeah, um, uh, sonication is, sonication and when you started asking me the question about like, how do you make nanoparticles? I was starting to think about the manufacturing methods and that's what sonication is. It's one of the types of ways to manufacture these particles. So yeah, I'll describe those a little bit. There's two general ways, top down 
or bottom up. Top down is where you have a big particle, like your salad dressing again, and you break up the big particles into smaller, smaller, smaller particles until they get to, to the nano size scale. So the, that's the top down uh, approach. It requires energy, so you need to mix it. Um, you can use high shear mixers, like literally super blenders. Those might get the particles down to the nano scale. The other way to mix them is with sonication with sound waves. So basically, instead of a, a blender blade, there's a probe. It's just a stick, and the stick is vibrating at a particular frequency for a particular amplitude and a particular amount of time. And those sound waves are breaking up the big particles into smaller particles until you get to nano size particles. So that's the an example of top down. Um, the bottom up approach is basically the opposite of where you spontaneously build the particle at the size that it wants to be, that it needs to be. It's a more, I don't want to say a chemical process, um, but it, it it's the, the particles are spontaneously formed. They're formed um, because of the interactions and the charges in the, in the compounds that you're using. So you usually put your lipids or your building blocks of the particle and your cannabinoids into one phase, usually a ethanol or, or a solvent phase. And then you mix that with an aqueous phase of water or a sulfate buffer solution. And when those come together, the charges between those two phases allows the particles to just come together in kind of a lower energy state. They want to be stable. And that's the bottom up approach. And those are, you know, there's a few more technical ways of, or instruments that can do either one, but I think that kind of sums up the, the broad strokes of it. Yeah, and so sonication is only used in the top-down approach? Did I get Correct. that right? Yeah, yeah. It, it takes big things and makes them smaller. Yes, that's the, sh that's the, the short answer. And like the, the more complicated the, the particle, the, the harder sonication is to use, but it's also cheap and it, and it works and it's fairly scalable. So yeah, we can design something on our bench. We have a sonicator that's like a little bigger than a coffee maker. Um, but when you want to do it at scale to, to make your beverages and all, you know, lots of things in the food and beverage space, yeah, you, you need much, you know, sonicators the size of, um, well, usually they're inline, but um, yeah, they're, they're like the size of a bigger microwave and, and they just process, um, it's not a batch process. So yeah, sonication is still, it's quite powerful, but they're, the downsides, um, like they do produce heat, like local heat right at the tip of the probe. Some people worry that um, affects the cannabinoids. So they're, you know, the heat will degrade them. The other thing is some of these probes are made out of titanium and they are consumable. Basically, when you're shaking the, the probe, you get tiny, tiny bits of titanium in the rest of your formulation. Um, like we're talking tiny, 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 like, you know, less than than is detectable for, for, for argument's sake. But um, that is a fact. <laughs> it does come off the probe. 
Yeah. So would that would that be something that wouldn't clear a testing lab? But it's just, it's an insignificant no, it, amount. I well, I don't know that they test for titanium. I mean, I know they do like uh, metals, but I don't know which metals they like completely test for. It's more for like soil and and things that have kind of stuck to the plant from or been absorbed in the soil. That's a good question. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, if they do, have to ask another have another yeah. uh, lab guy on the show and find out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit and let's talk about this uh, microphage inflammation response study. Mm-hmm. And so, how does this relate to you guys and, and what your interest level is? Yeah, so you know, we we have a series of particles or call it platform technologies. You know, that's what you put on your website. Um, and ultimately, we we know what these do in a bottle, but we don't really know what they what their effect is on the cells or or you know what function these particles might have. So we've designed some particles to release, you know, in a more steady state, kind of that pain and sleep application we've described. And that is, you know, relevant again to, to inflammation, um, reducing inflammation, it can reduce pain. Um, you know, it's the more immune pathway that we know cannabinoids have an effect on. And we're just taking our own R and D to the next level. It's kind of what I described earlier, like bench to cells, to small animals, to people, we have our bench formulation. We kind of, we want to know if we've designed something interesting beyond the bench. Um, and, it, and so we've taken, you know, these macrophage cells and we're going to stimulate them for an immune response. And if our particles kind of attenuate that response, it'll be, it'll be certainly interesting. And I think we'll, we'll be on to something to, to further, tune but it's yeah it's it's kind of just a fun stage of knowing if if we created something in our in our bottle and so uh, maybe this is too geeky and i'm not quite understanding everything altogether. but from what i understand that the there's a couple different types of macrophages where some turn on the the inflammatory response and some turn off an inflammatory response and uh, does that play into what you guys are doing at all i mean short answer yes like long answer, this is this is a pilot study, and and our, I guess the assay is just is is going to be somewhat binary. Like, is is our particle better than a free drug formulation? And we're going to again stimulate them to to elicit an Im- immune response, and we're going to see how how well our particles kind of reduce reduce the inflammatory response. So yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the types of cells that, that are looking to, to respond to or create inflammation and we want to attenuate it. Yeah. Cause I, I know the body is a pretty complex place and acute inflammation is pretty good for you. It's going to help heal <laughs> a wound. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. Like, I mean, you get down, this is again, where, the formulation, like not only the particle, but what we're putting into the particle is part of the drug. So you know, we want to test different ratios of CBD to THC and, and isolate the responses. Like that's a little bit down the line. 
we're just wanting we just want to see something and and that's the data we'll be kind of nervous waiting for um but even with and cannabinoids you know these biphasic effects so depending on the concentrations you can either be increasing or turning on or turning off a signal simply based on the concentrations and presence of other terpenes and things like yeah it's a can of worms <laughs> um but you have to start somewhere yeah yeah it's so fascinating with so many different places to go with all of it and and so when you're creating these different nanoparticles are you using a, a full spectrum model are you starting with just the isolates and trying to create formulations from specific isolates or how is it working out right now we're using full spectrum and you know what we would call like a high cbd and a high thc and you know each of those would still have some respective thc or cbd that's in some ways it's what we can easily procure um like synthetic cannabinoids like unless you're doing the from the analytical standards it's a little bit harder to get but we're trying to like that's more of a timeline situation we ultimately we, we want to do both and, and that program's kind of already been designed for for early 2021 because yeah again kind of getting back to that pharma side of things um nobody really knows the actual difference between synthesized and and say isolated so if you get isolated it's still it's supposed to be 99.9 percent cbd based off of the plant and if you synthesize it it's 99.9 percent cbd if you look at both of them under a microscope or what have you they probably look very much the same but the body's a weird thing like whatever it is that's going in there like you until you do the study like a head-to-head -head, you won't know and that's what we look to do with the particles as well like we have no idea how the particle react will react to those two situations and, and yeah understanding that is is what drives our curiosity we, we want to find out it's a procurement thing i guess back to the macrophages it's going to be full spectrum but um yeah, we're certainly interested in like the isolated effects of, of the molecules. And then are you working with already um, extracted cannabis oils or, or do you guys bring flour into the, the lab per se and then start from there and then do your own extractions and then do all the different liposomal nanoparticleizations or whatever you're doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, we like we we have our our collaborators, processors that give us their, you know, they're the experts in, in extraction. I mean, we could just do a an ethanol extraction, but even like for a batch to batch variability, like all that is, I think, best taken care of by the processors and some, you know, our, our GMP certified and and certainly for using them for medical purposes. So getting kind of that level of, of consistency even if it's from the plant is what we trust other people to do <laughs> yeah but you're not wrong like that whole field of genetics and and plant consistency um is is a tough one to is a tough game like as a drug yeah that's that's one of the top things you need is dosage consistency and effect and yeah i think the industry is still figuring that out
It is. Well, I mean, humans are still figuring that out in general, I guess. That whole the genetically modified peach versus an organically grown peach and they what actually is the difference is, is the difference our own human fear you know I mean, it's really interesting to see yeah yeah well and i mean that that when you get to the minor cannabinoids it's a little bit more difficult or that's where i think the synthesis is gonna certainly win out i i'm not a plant geneticist but i i just struggle to understand how you can completely change the way a plant functions to preferentially synthesize CBN. Well, CBN is not a good example, um, like CBG at high, high concentrations at the expense of CBD and THC. I guess they've done it for CBD. Maybe it's just a matter of time, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Ad- advanced genomics is working a lot in, in that favor. And so these these folks that are working on the, the 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 genes putting them together and you can run different algorithms to figure out which phenotype crossing with which other phenotype is going to produce most likely the result that you're looking most for likely. and yeah most likely and that's the thing there's still a, a modicum of chance with everything you do yeah and then you know all of a sudden your greenhouse hvac system goes down and the temperature goes up and you know all the plants are different, all, you know, instantly. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that that bit of nature. And so the synthesized version, I guess, would eliminate a lot of that. And it's a matter of, do you know, as far as testing goes, I mean, you said that if you look at um, a synthesized CBD molecule versus a natural CBD molecule, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Is Do you know of any testing that's going on in that area? I mean, so these aren't like, these aren't new concepts. So dronabinol, um, you know, was a drug that was approved in the 1980s. Like it's just pure synthesized THC and it's, yeah, used in, it has a lot of clinical indications um, where it's approved and it works. You know, the evidence is, is out there. Like the other kind of line of thinking that, that I've heard around synthesized um, cannabinoids is the, the comparison is like when you see fortified um, orange juice or milk with extra vitamin D, you know, even if that milk is organic, the vitamin D like is added it's, and it's synthesized. There's no, there's no natural source of vitamin D so massive that, that it can satisfy it. Like, so there's like, it's a little bit of marketing and it's a little bit of Oh, if, if 99% of that milk is organic, then you can put organic on the, on the bottle. I think that's what's going to happen with, with the cannabinoids. Like you'll have a, a full spectrum sleep pill, but the CBN in that full spectrum will have been added with like synthesized CBN. That's how I see it playing out a little bit. Yeah. And that's, yeah, again, it's, it's just kind of a volume game. You can't grow a field big enough. <laughs> and so with what you're doing over there at Ascension, is that based on the your partner's wishes and demands right now? Or, or how much freedom do you have to just to play out of curiosity? Um, I mean, our limits are our cash, <laughs> where everything I've described is stuff I want to be doing. Um, it's kind of the contract research business model. So again, people pay us to do research. 
So if, if somebody came to me and said, I want to know the difference between synthetic and isolated CBD, I want to, I'm curious. I want to know that. And, and as long as you pay me so I can eat lunch and have a roof over my head, like I'm, I don't need a yacht, let's work together. You know, again, that's my short plug out there to, to radio land. <laughs> if you want answers to these questions, like where we want to work with people and, and, then we develop IP and these become products and, and that's, that's kind of the mutual benefit, but yeah, we're, we're scientists and, and curious people at our core. And yeah. It's just hours in a day and money in the bank. Those are our limitations. Yeah. The, the, as for most folks, I guess. <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah. And so the, the people that you're partnering with, are they exclusively in Canada? I imagine it's hard to move certain cannabinoids over country lines. Yeah, so two-part answer, like cannabinoids, we can import, we can import um, just for research. Canada allows importation for research or medical purposes. We want, the country wants to kind of maintain its own commercial supply chain. So we're all buying from Canadian sources just to, to for some you know, economic benefit. Exportation is a little easier. So yeah, we, we do want to sell our stuff to other countries from a cannabis cannabinoid standpoint but the nice thing about us being in canada is yeah we can like research crosses borders easily like the information the knowledge very easily crosses borders so yeah we you know i've had conversations with people in israel certain you know as a research hotbed in lithuania i didn't know i don't know if you know but lithuania is the second largest hemp grower in all of europe and my understanding, France is the biggest. You know, those are not two countries I would have picked at the top of the list. So, um, did I see research... that you speak Lithuanian? Did I see that on your yeah, yeah? Your that's that's kind of that's my plug. Um, no, that's that's sort of my cultural background, and um, and that was fortuitous, I guess, from kind of business potential or hopeful business ties with Lithuania. I didn't enter this industry knowing Lithuania was the second largest hemp grower in all of Europe. That was, <laughs> I did not know that, but no, they're clever people and, or were clever people. And if it, that's a mutual market entry points, um, like I'm certainly game, but yeah, we will work with, with people cross borders and as, as therapeutics, again, as drugs, like these, these compounds, even if not legal for rec in any other countries, the, the drug formulations are, it's a pharma biotech play, you know, the, the channels and, and regulations for those are completely open. Uh, so we can formulate, you know, with anybody that has Tylenol in, in there or in their pharmacy, whatever the case is. Yeah. I'm always happy to work across borders. So just out of curiosity, I know that there's a certain kind of, uh, populist isolationism happening in the United States right now. And especially in regards to research around cannabis, they tend to discredit research coming from other countries. And have you come across that anywhere as far as dealings with the U S specific States and things like that? That's like some, I haven't come across it, but I have something to say about it. Um, Great. (laughs) I mean, that goes with any research. You're certainly most comfortable with with the research coming from people that you know that have the best reputations. 
I think discrediting is a bit of a strong word. You just need to be inquisitive and maybe skeptical at, at the extreme. Yeah, you read, you read the paper and you understand their methods. I've heard some comparisons or comments like, oh, the, you know, the potency in the UK for this strain for this clinical study is not the same as our potency for the same you know, strain in our study. And that's why the UK one had poor results and ours has good results. So what's, what's your comment on, like, what's your point in, in thinking that way? Like, is the study bad or is the potency different? Like, that's the result you come out of that with. Like, it, actually, there's a problem with the potency, not the research. <laughs> like, you, you, have to, you have to connect the dots or get down to, and, and I think most people, most researchers have, have good motives. Um, they, need, they just want to answer the questions. I guess you would say you just need to be aware of the source and, and that it's a peer-reviewed situation and you can easily just post on your website i mean we do but we we hope that people accept our reputation and, and take our data at face value that's what you are risking and putting out there is your reputation if you're just publishing on your own like don't pass on the blame to that other researcher if you don't like it and <laughs> look look for for a message and, and people that you believe that's there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it that it definitely does. It definitely does. That I wish that we had a more perspective around that here in the states. You know, this almost almost everybody that I speak to on the show, when I ask them what they want to see change, and they say well, they have more research. You know, get cannabis off of Schedule One so that more research can be done. And oh, yeah. the fact remains that there's tons of research being done around the world, just not mm-hmm. in this country. And, and it's confusing to me sometimes. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, and then, like, there's also, and this goes for research across the board, like kind of a critical volume. Like if there's two studies and they that tried to do the same thing and had different results, like you still don't know what this is, you know, you're not sure. But there's a hundred studies, hundred papers and, three of them had result a and 97 had result b you know now you're there's a data like a big data problem or a big data aspect to it and i think that's what you need to get in the cannabis situation is yeah that that basic science that we alluded to earlier but you know more reps you definitely need more reps <laughs> and, and that yeah, that's will, when you the scientific method, that's the only way to make sure it works, right? The the first study gets all the headlines, but the consequence yeah. studies, the ones that actually allow it to be science. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, no, that's well well summarized. So what what are some of the things that, that keep you going, keep you excited about doing this work and, and wanting to show up every day? <laughs> it's, I mean, we're like alluding back to our, our startup mode. Like I, I enjoy that. We, like I do a lot of different things within our, our company. Um, like if, you, if you're seeing the video or like we're in 600 square feet or four people we have a postdoc that comes in, you know, just that kind of nucleus of, of people that, um, yeah, want to do some curious things and the freedom to do them. Um, that's kind of why I started as a CRO. Like I get a lot of feedback or comments that like we should focus. And I believe that's the case. We do need to find a focus, 
but the CRO business model lets us do a lot of different things. And and that's, yeah, that's what gets me going. It's, um, and, and everybody's pretty open in, in the cannabis industry and cannabis therapeutics. Like the, the ship is, is all pretty altruistic, altruistic and directed, you know, with the best intentions at heart. So every conversation I have is, is quite open and, and sharing so yeah that just makes me think i'm on on the right track yeah th- those are the little things but it's 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 been fun so far obviously i'm a curious person and so being in this industry it's it's a good place to be curious because there's so much happening i would imagine as a, a scientist and a researcher there i i it's, it's endless the possibilities are endless yeah, especially like again, nanoparticles are just mixing things together, and you just change ratios, or you bake a cake and you put half a cup instead of a cup. Something is going to be different. So, and like that—that's even before getting into all the different types of plants and, and 140 cannabinoids and counting, and like, yeah, it boggles the mind. It does it definitely does. So what would you like our listeners to know? Is there anything less any, about Ascension Sciences, about you specifically, about nanotechnology? Is there anything else you want to say? No, just kind of the short plug that really, like we're, we're really looking for curious people to, to bring us their research questions and, and delivery challenges that can be solved with nanotechnology. And, um, you know, we we can also characterize people's formulations. Like we're not the only people doing this, um, but third party validation has value. And um, yeah, I just want to make sure people know we exist. That's, that's the first thing. Yeah. I think, I think we've covered a lot of the, the bases. It's, it's yeah, just an exciting time. And, and I hope I've kind of imparted that uh, on people through, through the conversation and yeah, we're just kind of getting started. So I would say, follow us on tw- LinkedIn is our main channel. Just go at, uh, at Ascension Sciences or Ascension Sci. Melody's going to kill me. I don't know our handle. I'll put it all in the show notes. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be easily accessible to everybody. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> but no, yeah, just, just keep track of us, uh, with us or of us. And, um, yeah, we're always happy to have, you know, quick conversations and, and chat people up to understand where the trends are going. Um, and, you know, and that's why I'll keep tuning into your, to your podcast, particularly, I think, yeah, there's a bit of a lack of the science in, in my mind and, and, um, and knowing where and what's going to happen next is, is always a topic I want to engage in. Great. Well, so I'll ask you the final question and that is what is the one change that you really want to see in the medical cannabis industry? <laughs> I would say, I, I think I'd want to, I want to see like medical cannabis be like a part of a, a more complete solution to, to health and healthcare and, and managing people's issues or, or difficulties. Like what I mean by that is I don't necessarily prescribe to the fact that it, it helps in isolation. Like if, if you have pain and you're using cannabis to help your pain, you know, there's something causing that pain. If it's anxiety, you know, you need to, you need to be your, a human without cannabis and, and use it um, for the proper way, for the responsibly. Um, 
So I think that that message sometimes gets lost. Uh, but but at the end of the day, like the reason it has this huge reach is because it's safe to use, like from a toxicity standpoint, um, it's safe to use. You know, it's it's not um, it's not something that should be taken lightly. But at the same time, it, it it's been around for a long time for for a good reason. So people just have to take it take it in stride. But there's a lot of basic science that's going to support it in the long run. Um, so those are my short short concluding comments, if you will. Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate that answer, actually, because it's it's one of the downfalls of Western medicine is that it's like, oh, we have a problem, take this pill, and it'll push that problem off to the side for a while. It doesn't actually solve anything. You know, I think that making sure the cannabis isn't looked at as like this thing that solves everything is probably wise. So yeah, thanks. That was a great answer. Thank you. I passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> fly colors, Thomas, fly colors. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, I'll link to the show notes of everywhere that we can find you. And thank you so much for being on the show. It's fascinating technology. I hope that more people take a deep dive into it. And I know I learned a ton. So really appreciate it. No, this is, like I said, as a first interview, I'm patting myself on the back. And, you know, um, I didn't get too lost in the weeds, hopefully. But yeah, I had a really good uh, time here. This is fun. So it's true, smaller is better. At least that's what we learned here. That was really fascinating to see what an advantage as far as bioavailability goes to using uh, nanotechnology products. Especially the fact that it's able to bypass the liver and go directly into the bloodstream. That's so important because we don't have to deal with any of the drug-to-drug counterindications that may happen from some of these cannabis products, which is a real thing. There aren't many side effects, but there are some drug-drug interactions that we need to be aware of. But using nanotechnology products, we can avoid that because it goes right by the liver. Good to know. Very cool stuff. So I want you all to have a beautiful holiday weekend, however it is that you're celebrating Thanksgiving this year. I hope you're doing it with the best intentions and in the safest way possible. And soon enough, we'll be able to get together with all of our family and squeeze our loved ones. And hopefully that's really, really soon. But until then, please stay as healthy as you can and enjoy yourself in this holiday season. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening.